Episode 5 with Mary Webster. Where meditation meets daily life, this is the Meditation Freedom Podcast. Do not believe in anything merely on the authority of your teachers and elders. Do not believe in traditions because they have been handed down for many generations. But after observation and analysis, when you find that anything agrees with reason and is conducive to the good and benefit of one and all, then accept it and live up to it. This was attributed to the Buddha and it really resonates with me for a couple of reasons because... I can validate that in my heart and mind and then in my experiences. So then it's much easier to live that and much easier to live in accord with that. If a way of being in the world leads to more peace, uh, more kindness, more compassion, more wisdom, then to me that's beneficial. And if any piece of that, you know, if a uh, religion or a tradition has pieces that cause harm, that hurt people, hurt the planet, or hurts hurt somebody, then I think that needs to be examined and possibly discarded. There's no need to have something in there that's causing harm. And today's interview is going to be with Mary Webster. She is a, a practitioner and teacher in the Vipassana tradition. And she has kindly agreed to talk a little bit about her experiences and her teaching and her own practice with recollective awareness or Vipassana meditation. And just briefly about Mary Webster. She's currently a resident teacher in Spokane for the Vipassana meditation community. And she has also been teaching over a decade, offering opportunities for practice depending on the community's needs. So sometimes that might be workshops, sometimes residential retreats, sometimes study groups and smaller reporting groups, as well as personal interactions with students who have a regular meditation practice. She began in 1995 with her teacher Jason Siff, attending Recollective Awareness Meditation Retreats, and then entered the Skillful Meditation Project teacher training in 2001. She has since increased gradually her teaching responsibilities. The interview was recorded at her home in Spokane, and I hope you enjoy this interview with Mary Webster. Thank you very much, Mary Webster, for joining me in this podcast. I'd love to know how you got started with meditation, what brought you to where you are now. Thanks, Siko. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. It's an interesting journey when I look back and think about how I got started in meditation. When I look through the early parts of my life, I was always kind of a daydreamer kid. I always liked to be introspective. It was always a part of me that I really valued, but I didn't do much with it. My career choice was in mental health nursing, so I was always paying attention to my mind and the workings of other people's minds. And somewhere in the 40s, I be, my 40s, I became quite aware that my mind was working in a very black and white way. It was an either-or kind of mind. It was right, wrong, this or that. And, and I found that my life 
was getting narrowed by the way my mind was working with things. Hmm. And one of the things that was really bringing this up at the time was that our children were teenagers. And this black-white thinking did not seem to be a skillful way to be with young people at all. It wasn't a skillful way for me to be with myself. And it was horrible with children, with teenagers, because of all the variables in their life. So about the time that I'm being really caught in this, a friend of mine suggested a meditation retreat. And I never stopped meditating after that first retreat. Huh. I went on a retreat in 1995, a three-day meditation retreat, and it has influenced my life ever since. Wow. Yeah. And was this in, in the same uh, tradition that you're in now as well? Yeah. Okay. I was very fortunate. I have been in one tradition the whole time, and it turns out it's a rather unusual tradition. It's called Recollective Awareness, and it's a form of Vipassana meditation. And as you know, Vipassana is based on the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness. And recollective awareness took a rather unusual approach towards this sutta in that it incorporated all four foundations immediately. Usually one would begin by focusing on one foundation, usually the breath is picked, and, or the noting practice of the sensations. But this approach allowed for the whole field of experience to be seen. It was very open, and then examined in recollection. Mm -hmm. So your whole experience could go th happen in your meditation, and because it's unstructured, a lot of life comes in, a lot of thinking about the kids, the work, the laundry, everything comes on in and then can be looked at afterwards in terms of really learning more about conditionality mm -hmm. yeah and so what were some of the maybe the the uh, insights that you got as a result of practicing that with regards to what you mentioned earlier the the black and white and thinking well yeah especially with the black and white thinking um uh, by by looking back on things and seeing over time the many conditions that were operating in any one moment, it almost makes it impossible to have a this or that orientation because the awareness is of so many factors. And it turns out that the this or the that it's usually just a habit of mind. Mm -hmm. It's just a way that I had of thinking that would just see this first and then assume that to be so. Right. It was this and it wasn't that. But by looking back and seeing not only what I was going through, but what the other people going through, what all the conditions were, that just couldn't hold anymore. Right. So I would say that my thinking now is a lot more open and nuanced of course, the habits still continue, but they are being able to be examined uh, in a more direct way, in a more open way. They're right. known more. So there was, there was an element of unknowing in there, right? That yes. opening up. Yes. Like you're not so sure anymore that this is the position you're in and that must be that. Or 
That's right. right. That's right. And one of the beautiful things about being unsure of a position is that the position kind of goes away. And then one of the benefits is being able to hear other people's thinking. And this was a huge benefit with the children and teenagers, but it has continued on. That it's um, really looking at what are, what are the conditions that are affecting all of us, then, then communication really has to happen. The assumptions can't be there. The dialogue begins, and a different kind of relationship can develop because, because it's not one person trying to say, this is my point and get it. Right. It's it's really an exploration of what is going on, what's affecting you, what's affecting me, how are we being? Yeah, it's, it's a whole different level of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what were some of the the benefits as a result of that shift in in uh, in mindset that you were experiencing? For me personally, um, a lot less self criticism. It was one of my it's this or that, one of the ideas that turns out that was supporting that kind of way of being was an idea about being perfect in a certain sort of way, that there was some goal of perfection. And um, it's beyond the scope of this podcast, but I mean, that's that's been an investigation I've been going through for as long as I've been meditating, how that thing got formed, the idea how it shaped. But somewhere along the way in meditation, the whole idea of perfection just broke apart because it I got to see it. It was just a construction. I could see how my life had led me to think that. I could see how I was playing it out. And I could see that there is no such thing as a perfection. There's no uh, one state of perfection. Um, so I saw a certain delusion in my thinking. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, this criticism that was really based on having to be perfect, how I failed, um, was kind of dissolved. I found myself, this is a really beautiful part of it, I found myself able to be a human being. Mm -hmm. I, I think that I had always seen myself as a failed angel, mm -hmm. and um, this practice just opened me up to my humanness, and that my suffering, my dukkha, was part of being human. It didn't mean that anything was wrong, it just meant that in this realm of being a human being, there's going to be uh, our own individual kind of suffering. We each have our own. Mm -hmm. um, and I think meditation practice helps us look at that dukkha and um, incorporate it in a way into our life that um, doesn't stop us but continues to lead us onward in the path in our exploration. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's very encouraging in, in, in this path of forgiveness and acceptance. and. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, compassion. Compassion. I'd yeah. say that compassion really develops once we can, once I could see the um, some of the suffering that was just part of life. Once I could see that this is just being human, 
Um, I could have more compassion for myself for going through this and for everybody else. Right. So, um, so it affected how you saw and treated others too yeah, as a result. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that friendliness grew um, and openness towards other ideas. Um, yeah. yeah. With your students, do you, do you see similar things they're struggling with or, or do you see also totally, uh, maybe uh, totally different things they struggle with? Yes, I think everybody struggles with something slightly different depending on the conditions of their life. But I think that there is a way that we all suffer in the same way, and that is by holding on to something so tightly and not uh, a sense of ourself, a sense of the way things are supposed to be, um, that we somehow solidify our experience and don't allow for an exploration of the movement within that that is around that solidity. We tend to hold fast in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so when I work with students, I usually, the work is usually around looking at what is being held solid and, and then opening it up a little bit more. So we go back and explore meditations and somebody may say something about, well, you know, um, I was falling asleep. So I just had to, you know, pinch myself or come back. I just stopped that from happening. So the idea was set that they were not as aware as they might have been, that they felt that they were falling asleep. And then we'll explore that. Was it really sleep? What was that state like? Was the mind, how was the mind working? And very often the idea of the word asleep changes. Well, no, that state wasn't exactly asleep. There was no dreams. I wasn't really falling. What was happening was I wasn't thinking quite as much. My memory wasn't sharp. The thoughts were fragmented. There were spaces in between things. So rather than saying, this is what it was, to examine, well, really, what was it? And so a lot of this work is breaking down a word, like I used the word perfect earlier, mm -hmm. to break down the word perfect and to look at, well, really, what were the ways that I learned that? What were my, my early instructions as a child? What's the tone of voice that's associated with that? How have I developed ways of being, habits, interaction patterns that are based on that? And when I see them, being able to say, oh, I see you again, there you are, you know, this is you showing up like this. Then I know it. I know it from having examined it. I can see it in current life. I might be able to see what's bringing it on, but it doesn't hook me quite as much. Yeah. So that's the way, the, that is a, a way of working with students and myself around breaking down the experience into more, less defined and more full of the experience. You know, not to shortcut our life so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like a yeah. limiting. I don't know where I heard that, but they were talking about life sentences. You know, uh -huh. somebody might have a life sentence that they've given themselves or that they've gotten inherited, like, yeah. uh, I'm not good enough. That's kind of yes. a life sentence. That's exactly it. And so your 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 practice is yeah. about breaking those uh, open. Yeah. 
and uh, questioning those. Yeah, I would use a, life sentences is a great term. I tend to use more the word narrative. They're the stories yeah. that we've made about ourselves, yeah. the stories that we've made about our life, and that we tend to perpetuate unless they're examined. You know, And that to me is what really Buddhism is. It is um, a way of examining our life and our situation, our thinking, the way we're being. Buddhism to me is one huge investigation um, of everything that is here. And it calls into question everything at some time or another. But in meditation, it's a gentler pace. You know, things come up to us in meditation as we're ready to see them, if we allow it to happen, rather than forcing our mind, well, I have to think about this. If if we're angry about something, anger will come up. We'll get to see what anger's about. We'll get to see into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You also uh, deal with things like separateness. You mentioned you were kind of touching on that earlier, a sense of wholeness versus a sense of separateness and how that shift in perspective that alone can affect people's way of seeing the world. You know, if, if they feel separate, like you were saying, a, a yeah. solid sense of self versus, you know, a loosening up sense of self. Yes, I do. I think that these set ways that we have set us apart. Mm-hmm. They're like in the flowing river of life. They're like the log that falls across and kind of stops. It's like it falls in and says, this is the way to be. And, and then everything has to adjust around it. So it, it is a little bit separate away. And it's setting ourselves into a position, a position that everybody else has to then accommodate to or something. But in, it, then if we take this position, then from this position, the other person is automatically in a position. When you're in a position, everything else is positional. Right. Yeah, but if we can look, if the if the shift can be to what are the conditions, what are the process, how are we um, supporting that, how are we moving along with things, that's a different thing than separating out. Right. And that is working with the conditions, with a knowledge of conditionality, to kind of promote conditions that are um, more wholesome. And then ones that aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That I think is something, now this is a little side, but that is something that I think is important in practice, is to be aware of what are the conditions that you're putting in your life. In my work in psychiatric nursing, when I was working with people who were trying to recover from uh, being addicted to alcohol, you know, we didn't recommend that they would go to a bar to get over it, right. you know? Right. I mean, those conditions were not going to help them. So what conditions help us? What conditions help us continue on in our practice? And I think it's important to watch what we put into our mind because because it has such a way of carrying forward. I remember one time when my husband was on a, a ski trip, I sat down to watch, do you remember the TV show 24? I With, heard of it. I don't oh my gosh. It was just this click, 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 second by second, next disaster is happening, oh, or right. I was in a race, and it uses this ticking clock to kind of mark time, and it's told in real time. Now, I watched this for about three or four hours, 
um, kind of did a little binge series on it. And I tell you, for and then I had to go shopping for something. And it, I, the tension of that show just stayed with me. Wow. It was like, okay, you know, 407, I'm, I'm at the store, I'm buying lettuce. And now I'm, you know, and there was just this, my, this pressure, this urgency that got set up that I could watch for several days. So watching how these things influence us and what we put in to our minds and, and our relationships, I think, is really um, an interesting thing to notice and practice. To be careful about what, who we associate with, what we put into our minds, what, we, what fuel we give to work with. And, of course, that's very subtle, too, because people that live in cities, they found over the years walk a little bit faster. Each uh -huh. Every every decade, they're finding that people walk a little bit faster. So it's like a, yeah. a very subtle influence like that. I can believe that. And I would imagine that it would be helpful for people to once in a while get out of that and take a retreat of some kind, whether it's a vacation or, or even just a retreat, if possible. Yeah. Yeah, that is something that I think is very important, too, is to put in times when you do have time for self-reflection. Because the world's a busy place. We are doing a lot. We get caught up in it, and we get caught up in it. Right. And we get caught up just like those people walking faster and faster and faster. We just don't even notice it. It right. just happens. So I think it's really helpful to take time for self-reflection. And, you know, meditation retreat is fantastic they help deepen the practice they give us a lot of time and space and daily I think um, being able to meditate at some point during the day for some amount of time is really beneficial but even when we can't do that I really do think it's important to take some time for self-reflection every day mm -hmm. that that there's some time that you just watch the sunset or you just linger over your coffee a little bit more, dawdle doing the evening dishes and enjoy the warm water and the bubbles and just let yourself kind of think for a while. I think some time is really important every day. And giving yourself permission to do that because I, I think a lot of the pressure in society is about, you know, if you're not productive, if you're not doing anything, you're not being productive and somehow that's associated with something negative. Yeah. People need to get that permission again to, to give themselves some time. And the sad thing is, that's based, you know, there's a base on an idea just like perfect. What is production? What is production? And so if we say production is only work put out, you know, that's the model that we have, and that's the one that has everybody running after. But if we can look at production as also being able to, being more than that, being able to be a way, supporting a person in the way that they approach their work, so that they can be productive, put out work, but that they can do it in a certain way. Or even that productivity may have different um, parts of it. That it may have production of um, goodwill, production of self-ease, production of, of, uh, of a peacefulness. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the definition of what is productive can change a right. bit. Right now it's very limited, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we are. That's exactly how we get caught in it. We get yeah. caught into, if I'm not doing something that shows, then it's not worthwhile. And 
I mean, you look at all the the naps that Einstein took that, you know, helped him get other ideas. And yeah, it actually made him more productive. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So this model we have, I think, is worth questioning. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you have some more suggestions for people doing that, wanting to do a home practice. What kind of tips would you have for someone who's uh, looking to start a home practice? To be very careful with themselves about not being overly rigid about what a home practice would look like. A lot of people find it helpful to set up a place to sit and that they know that when they have a little place that is just, that that is a place that's designated, that that calls to them to make it a little bit easier to sit. Right. I would encourage people to experiment with times of the day. Um, everybody might think, oh, I'm going to do it every day at this time, and then that time passes, and they feel like, oh, I, I failed. You know, I didn't do it. So to be gentle with yourself about recognizing it takes a while to start up any habit. Mm -hmm. right. um, so to allow themselves time to practice sitting at different times of the day, to... Um, I encourage people to sit when they're most upset, like when something is just horrible. You just had the fight with the boss or you just, um, you know, uh, had the car. To just sit and just let it kind of absorb that way. So sometimes it's having a set time. Sometimes it's just knowing this is the time to sit. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's helpful to... Read a little bit of Dharma every day. And I don't think, I think just something little, I love the Dhammapada for mm -hmm. people beginning, just something that they can take that they might want to contemplate. It's not that this stuff has to go uh, deep study right away, but just let the words enter in and fall on you and, and be there. And I also do think that when people are alone in their practice, I mentioned conditions before. Some of the conditions are the companions we have along the way. So if there is a group that they can contact, a, a sangha in the area, or just another person who's sitting, to have contact to dialogue a little bit about practice or what's happening, because it does change us. We begin to see the world a little differently. One of the things I hear the most from my students is that there's no place to have conversations like this outside, mm. you know? It's in the Sangha that we can have conversations like this. And the conversations are so supporting that I really think that having a companion along the way is helpful. And if people don't have a Sangha, then I think they can be their own companion in terms of journaling their meditations afterwards. We encourage that, that after your meditation, you simply sit, remember your meditation, and then write down what you can remember. Mm -hmm. This develops our memory, and the word awareness sati was originally meant memory. So awareness has a definite link with memory. And if we can, the journal, we can remember something, and then we can be our own friend and go back and look at it. Mm -hmm. In my approach, Recollective Awareness, these journals can then be shared with a teacher. And you can go over this with a teacher. So even people who are alone in 
Borrego Springs or some mm-hmm. far, far away spot where there might not be a community. They can be in contact with the teacher either by phone or Skype or online groups. So there are ways of staying connected that I think facilitate practice and help. That's great. Yeah, Yeah. that's good advice for people that are too far away from the Sangha. Yeah. Thank you so much. And do you have a website where people can go to to find out more about your particular practice and uh, you yourself? I do. And it's called SpokaneVipassana.com. Okay. And it will explain what's happening here, this approach, and also links to the Skillful Meditation Project, which is the site for my head teacher, Jason Siff, and has a lot of articles on this approach. Great. So, and contact information for all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a great opportunity. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Mary Webster. And if you really enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a review. If you are an iTunes member, it'll help other folks find this particular podcast and this particular content. The show notes can be found on meditationfreedom.com slash 005. And from there, you can also find links to the websites that she mentioned in this podcast as well as some of the show notes. I try to transcribe most of it and summarize it a little bit. I'm still experimenting with that, but it'll give you a sense of what was discussed in this interview. If you hear any glaring mistakes, just let me know. Send me a note or leave a note on the webpage for that particular interview. Just leave a reply or a comment. And if you have any burning questions that you have noticed are not asked in these interviews, let me know too. I'd love to uh, get your feedback and your input. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful evening or rest of the day wherever you are. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on the Meditation Freedom Podcast, where meditation meets daily life.